Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. Last week, we had the incredible Anthony Rose on. Anthony Rose is the CEO and founder of Seed Legals, an amazing platform for any startup. And also he was the head of product at BBC iPlayer. So he, he's a pretty big deal. What was great about the episode is he focus on two really key points. One, what is the best practice when you are building a product? And his philosophy is saying, don't commit anything to code until you know your customers want it. So find a way of testing without committing to code. Secondly, he talks about the most efficient ways to raise capital. Really, really great stuff if you're an early startup company. So definitely jump in. This is Nancy, by the way, for those fans. Nancy the Magic Cockapoo, she's my first love. Um, after that, last week, well, two weeks ago, I sent out a question to my audience and I said, well, what are the kind of things you want to know the answer to? Where do you want some advice? And actually what came back quite a lot was, can I get some advice about what is a good structure for an advisor? Where do I turn to for advice? How do I find a good advisor and what makes them good? Because a lot of people go out there and they're like, I'll tell you what, you give me a couple of grand a day, I'll give you some great advice. And I'm thinking, is that is that really worth doing? And how do you know that someone's legit? So what I did was I went to my network, I went to some people over at Techstars, some people at YC, some people at Microsoft, all the people I know, and I said, look, what makes a great advisor? And one guy's name kept coming up, and that guy's name was John Stamler. And that's who I've gone on today. Now, John has been in the space for a long time. He's a mentor on a number of startup programs, and he's a really impressive guy. In fact, I love him so much after interviewing him, I actually asked him to come and be an official advisor at my own company, Snake Stakester. So look, listen to this episode. It's really fascinating. You answer a lot of questions about what should you be looking for? Because when you are growing your company, getting the right advice is key. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Please, as always, drop me messages on Twitter or on LinkedIn, or you can email me at pod at Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Also, some exciting news for my company, Stakester. On the 27th of this month of February, we are going live. So get to the website, download the app and start backing yourself. Thanks, guys. Take care. John, welcome on the show. Great to have you here. Um, so look, we're here for the early stages. We're here for the people who have either just started out their journey, and that can be from one to three years, or they haven't taken any funding, but they're in that that stage of really building something and trying to find that market fits. You know, they're trying to build it out now. All we're talking to this thing about the people who are sat at their desk right now or on the way into work, listen to this pod, and they've just had an amazing idea. Like, how do I turn that in idea into something real? Okay. And as the show sells, we believe that people should back themselves and they should control their destiny. I firmly believe that you should pursue your passion. If you have a passion for something amazing, you can turn that into something successful. And that's what drives people. Now, I know that you're someone that's fully embedded in this community, in this world, and you've got a fascinating story. But look, stuff, imagine we're on a first date. Introduce yourself to me. Tell me who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm John Stammer. Um, as you can tell, I'm American, but I've been in the UK oh. for 18 years. Oh, I, I yes, I didn't know. Do you want to? Do you want us to just cut it out now? Or? We can cut it out now. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Um, backgrounds, distressed debt, so bankruptcies, liquidations. Got exposed to the startup ex adventure through Chris Adelsback, who you know quite well. About Legend. three or four years ago, as a TechStars mentor and been in, entrenched in that space. Worked at a couple startups. Spent a fair bit of time mentoring, advising, and on the boards of, I don't know, the last probably three, four years, it's been about 100 companies, 60 to 100 companies. You've worked, you've worked it's in some capacity, whether it's mentoring, advising, meeting along the way. But look, it's to me, it's giving back to and helping entrepreneurs in their crazy journey, as you know, from your own experience. Yeah, amazing. So look, um, I'm going to go straight into a few things there, because I have literally no idea what one of them means. 
distressed debt. <clears throat> so a good example, as I'm sure you know, the cable company Virgin Media, oh, which yeah, used to yeah. be Intel, Intel and Tel West when I moved here, over levered, went through bankruptcy, restructuring. So basically, it's sometimes good business is bad balance sheet. And so I've looked at companies across every sector from cinema to retail to textiles to healthcare to oil and gas to sports, everything. And to me, it's a company's a company. It's just a matter of do they can they make do they have enough cash flow to support their business? And if you redo the, the balance sheet, like I'm sure a good example is Fitness First went through bankruptcy or or restructuring. Really? Yeah, yeah. Fitness First went through one. Obviously, some of the retailers in this country have gone bankrupt and just disappeared. Um, but generally it's it's figuring out a way to redo the re, um, the balance sheet. The, the creditors take over the equity, take over the equity of the business. The equity guys get vaporized, and life goes on. Some people view them as vultures. I think it's just look. It's saving a decent business. Look, look, you wouldn't have Virgin Media if it wasn't for yeah. the stress guys. <laughs> well, so yeah. So I've looked across multiple sectors, and something you and I were talking about before we came on is the the passion I have for entrepreneurs is no different than what I did with distress because I'm looking across and working with entrepreneurs across different companies, whether it's, you know, looking at their term sheets, whether it's I'm talking about business planning, go to market strategy, all that kind of like everything. And as I said to you before, it's like I spend 30 seconds with them and said, tell me what you do. And then I just ask a bunch of questions and get it and then figure out either how I can yeah. help or not help or just cheerlead from the side. That's really interesting. So like the, I can see how you fell into the startup world because like <clears throat> what you're doing in the stress debt, and I'm interested to hear about that background because there's a pretty good training school for being an investor, isn't it? Because, you know, and I love that strategy. So you'd said that you, if you're looking at those full spectrum of things, like the, the outsider is looking at this being like, well, if you don't understand retail businesses or you don't understand sport businesses, how can you yeah. figure it out? But actually you just looked at it and you've been like, well, they're all just, just businesses. So yeah. what was your attitude when you look at them? What are the kind of things that when you're, what were the learnings you would take from that? So how would you view a company as when you're looking to give them distressed debt and decide whether there's a viable business or not? What would you do? Well, one, it's looking at the financials, figuring out whether the, the business works without the debt. So you reduce all the interest expense. Can they make the can can the business run? Mm -hmm. And that's obviously one thing. Which the cable companies Simple. they had real subscribers paying real real revenue per month, so you could get your head around it. But it was just math. I mean, I think NTL was like fourteen or sixteen billion dollar billion of bank billion pounds of bank or bond bonds and bank debt on the balance sheet. So it was crazy. So again, but that would never happen again because nobody's ever going to dig the streets up again. Right. So okay. that, you know, it was a one-off, but it was the wrong time, but the right, the right business, but just now it's working great, right? Yeah, yeah. Virgin Media is fantastic. You have great broadband. Um, I mean, look, every time I go into, when I historically have always gone to distressed company, I always just take a blank Excel spreadsheet and just start from scratch. It's like painting a picture. Whereas some of my fellow colleagues in high yield, which is higher credit or even investment grade, would just take templates. Whereas I just take a blank sheet of paper and just do organized, take organ disorganize just a whole bunch of, I don't know, it's all, all over the joint and put it all together, come up with a view, do some legal analysis, talk to industry people, primary research, come up with a view on what things are worth, you know, where you buy it upside, downside, have conviction and put the, either put the investment on or wait for things to drop lower and then buy them lower. So again, it, again, every sector, and also talking to industry experts. Like I don't, prof I wouldn't profess to be a retail expert or, you know, sports and rec. Or I mean, I covered the cinema industry in the U.S. when it went through bankruptcy, which was amazing, a phenomenal experience. Um, but yeah, like talking to enough industry experts, you get smart. But doing all that other work mm. and then layering it on, you come up with a view and put the position on, or don't. I mean, look, I spent another thing was like, remember when Brexit happened? I got sent to, to Greece for nine months on and off, back and forth. It was amazing. Like, I didn't know anything about Grexit. I didn't know anything about Saritza. Yeah. But that drove the high yield and distress market 
in Europe massively because obviously if it was was Greece going to stay in was Greece going to go out obviously with Brexit it happened differently but again it was partly distressed and partly just a sovereign bet that was impacting the, the markets does that make sense yeah it makes perfect yeah it makes perfect sense yeah that's really interesting and so your and how did you that that for me um, as someone who's not particularly technical that sounds like quite an aspirational career path so you must have what's your background are you a mathematician are you- i was in finance i went to brown it was economics and management but like look i ended up in the old nations bank in charlotte north carolina it was just dumb luck i ended up on a trading floor the cinema industry went from good to bankruptcy my boss was like i hate distressed guys you deal with it and that was it that's it and so i that's- traveled i was all over the u.s i was 22 23 year old kid and I knew everything about the cinema industry. The like, I, got, <laughs> I was in the newspapers. I went to cinema openings. It was one of the most amazing experiences. We just, put on bank debt positions. We made a lot of money. It was great, amazing. And then I moved. It was either moved to London or moved to New York at the time. And so I moved to London. And the rest is kind of history. I so. mean, it's the best place to live. So good choice. Sort of. Yeah, is that, it was. So, sort of. It was. What are you saying? <laughs> right, How I'm hurtful. Okay, great. So okay, so you did that, and then you you left that, and you decided to get into this game. Yeah. Well, I was it, it, so. Chris, roll back. I've always kind of, so I'm a rare disease survivor and I've been through, I had open heart surgery nine years ago, which will be 10 years ago in May. That's not, that's not, whoa. We'll come back to that. Okay. So one of the, I help run a nonprofit for people with rare diseases, which always kind of gave me the bug and interest in startups. And some of the the guys I work with that are on the board of that with me are in startups. So kind of always had the interest. And then I met Chris Saddlesbox about four years ago, and he was like, Would you, we sort of got talking about the idea of being a mentor, and the rest is kind of history. And I joined one fin- one of the companies back then, and then Roll Forward have been, been involved with others since then. Um, and then obviously on the side, been mentoring, advising, and on the boards of, I don't know, I'm probably going to be on the board of about five other companies now. Yeah. Um, but again, like, look, uh, coming back to the rare disease thing, I'm very lucky. I've been through a lot of things. I lived with one. I still have two others. And I survived heart disease. Uh, I had an open heart surgery nine years ago, 10 years ago. Minor. I mean, it sounds... sounds and ran a marathon six months later. Course, well, okay. All right. Okay. You're bragging <laughs> I had to now. chuck that in. And there's bragging <laughs> now. So um, I think there's something in that. You you, you find... If you... Um, we had a guy on here, Eamon Carey, who you know, and he has this big thing about origin story. He yeah. talks about like, he loves that story of, um, you know, you've got a few people who worked in the industry, they saw a problem and they went into it. And your your origin story is quite an interesting one because like you've you mentioned the couple of things you invest in there, but you have quite, a, that's quite a serious life event to go through. Like, so, I mean, you don't have to talk about it too much, but- I'm happy to. And anybody has a rare disease, I'm happy to talk to anybody. So, so what happened? So I was diagnosed with a hole in my heart in December of 09. Did you? And, look, and so I had no idea I'd run marathons, I did triathlons. And you had I no idea. I never had an idea. I was you, a ticking time bomb. And so you didn't even like, you couldn't even feel anything. I never felt anything. So I had sinus surgery in December of 09. They saw something at my EKG or ECG as you call it here. Sent me for an echo, which is a sonogram of your heart. I was like, you have a hole in your heart. I'm like, really? So they still did that. And I was like, well, I've done all these races. So... I was, in the way I look at myself, I was a distressed asset because I had to be my own patient advocate and go f- squirrel around and figure it out. So I also have a blood disorder and it turns out I have a rare skin condition. So you put the blood kit order and the heart condition together, you have 120 and 240 Americans that have both. So I saw two doctors here, they were terrible. I saw 10 doctors in New York, they didn't understand how to deal with the blood condition. I went to Boston, they got it, but the the, the, the leading heart surgeon in the world who's actually now the, now the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic is at the Cleveland Clinic was this guy named Tomislav Mihalovich. emailed him and 22 minutes later, he's like, look, your case is rare, but I can do this. So I went to I went and visited him in March in Cleveland and had a heart surgery in May. 
was back in the gym a month later and ran the marathon five and a half months later <laughs> and got involved in this charity, which is called Ben's Friends, which again is, I think the most exciting thing about, like, I'm very lucky. Like you meet these people that you meet and there's 7,000 rare disease in the world and 300 million people globally, at least living with one of them globally. And I, you meet people who are doing this so much worse than me. So I'm very lucky and very blessed. Um, but the, when I met one of the guys I went to college with, this guy, Eric, was like, look, given all the research, would you get involved? So got involved and became a board member, and it's just been an amazing journey. So we have like 150, 200,000 members globally. It's all about connecting people. Um, so imagine you have lupus and you're sitting here, and somebody in Wales is like, look, you're not alone anymore. You connect with them. You become a new friend online. You're, it's all anonymous so that there's no data. So again, we don't want to share data. We don't want people's data out there because it's very private. Yeah. And people, again, it's 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 so much better than Facebook. It's what I'm saying because people are able to be open and honest about their horrible, horrible days or what they're going through. And many of these are lifelong conditions. So to me, it's, it's like, I'm very grateful for that. It's been an amazing journey. And Ben, who started it, actually he started another business called Nadine West, which is one of the, in my, one of my angel investments, which has actually done quite well. But, um, but yeah, very lucky to be a part of it. So how do you, um, I'm always fascinated by when it, people talk about diseases and it's kind of, it's not really directly related to our show, but I'm always fascinated about how do people, how do people find out they've got it? And then how do you recover now? How do you, you? I mean, for me, so the heart condition, the heart surgery solved it. So I'm done. Okay. Complete bill of health. As I said, I ran the marathon and I've run traces since. It's absolutely fine. I have full clearance from the heart surgeon. Um, but as it relates to the blood condition, I still have it. That's not going away. And as it relates to this rare skin condition, which I was diagnosed with two years ago, they don't know if it'll come back. They don't know anything. But some of these conditions are lifelong. So it's, again, how you manage it, how you deal with it. But many of these, and also the problem with rare diseases is that they're rare so there's no medicine for them. Yeah. So these people are trying to figure out how to live with them. Some people spend years getting diagnosed with whatever they have. It took me two months to figure out what my skin condition was, and I had a massive ulcer there for six months. Like a mass, like it was horrible. But anyway, it's fine. I, like right here on my arm. But very lucky. But again, other people are dealing with a lot worse than me. Like it's it's all relevant. Yeah, but it, you say other people are dealing with it worse, but it doesn't mean that you're not dealing with tough stuff. Uh, it's it's manageable. So it's, you um I, it, so. <laughs> What, what blows? Okay, first of all, so marathons, literally the most boring sport on the planet. But from, I do it for, to raise money for charity. Oh, fine. Okay, you've made it better. You've made it better. Um, I'm but a cyclist. The, even worse, it's so antisocial. You have to spend so much time on your own. And you know, but I was about to say, I think there's there's a strange correlation between people in the startup world and people who are particularly successful and endurance athletes. I've had two people on this show who are pro cyclists. Okay, James Hawkins and. Um, Llewellyn Kitch, um, they, they're both pro cyclists and now you're a competitive triathlete. I know. Yeah. So it's like, do you think there's something in that? Like there's a, like it's, um, well, I, I don't know. It's like that. Is there something about cycling? I think it's the highest focus sport in the world apart from Formula One, because if you lose focus for a split second, bike. you die. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's why I like about Formula One too. Yeah, I think yeah. those guys are amazing. Oh, unbelievable. Um, Different planet. Yeah, but if you are, people don't realize that that's what's the difficulty of it. Like, it's the focus. It's kind of, I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, be a little bit sensational, but like, that's kind of the same with a startup. Because if you lose focus and you're like, oh, maybe we should try this, and I've lost it. Yeah, or I take my eye off advertising, I take my eye off what well, traction, I take my eye off the product, I take my eye off raising money, I take, you know, you take your eye off the ball somewhere. And then you you you, you die you yeah. you die right there's there's definitely a, there's a synergy there isn't there yep so I agree with that. so move forward so you're now in that space where you're 
you're a mentor of tech stars and you're a private investor as well. Yeah, angel. Yeah, I've done some. Angel you've done, done some major stuff as well, and you and you've seen you, you help. I spend a lot of time with company, and I look. It's a very it's a passion of mine. Like I really like giving back to entrepreneurs that I spend time with, and I get to know them. And it's more of I think it's what Alex said. It's like really getting under the hood and figuring out what drives them as human beings. Yeah. So like one guy I met this guy from CEO from Job Lab, Aiden Kramer. I don't know if the name rings a bell, but. We got connected randomly. He was looking to raise money. Um, I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. We met and we just have spent time. And he's, he's like, would you become an advisor and mentor? So we meet um, either once a week, once every other week. And it's, I mean, one time it was like he was trying to deal with some illegal stuff related to his, his fundraising. And I was like, look, I'll jump on the call and happy to give you my two cents. And that settled things clearly, completely. He's just like, again, just out of the blue, good guy. Massively supportive of what he's doing. Again, it's trying to get kids coming out of college jobs faster than before. So it's, it's making gamifying it and connecting to employers, generally startup scale ups companies that are looking for SDR type people. Yeah. So again, he's look, he's he's making a, a much better experience than you know kids coming out of college are excited because they can get some money out of it too. Because if you if you gamify it, it makes it interesting for them. Well, I was an SDR coming out of university, so I'd love that. <laughs> that sounds exactly. great. Amazing. Okay, that's what a cool idea. So there. So when you, so you, you, I, I love to be asking this, this question because if you're surrounded by all this talent and look, startup world attracts the best talent, I think, yeah, because yeah. people who like, it just makes sense. You get more freedom and you know, you get to work harder on your terms and you could get an amazing exit at the end of it. Yeah. Like it's sexy. It's amazing. It's yeah, but it's, it's hard. It a lot of work, but then things that are hard work attract the best people. I believe that. You agree, know? agree. And if you, but when you meet all these people, like these amazing people, what is it that, is there anything that you look for or that you think differentiates some people? Or is there, is there something that, yeah, that you sort of go to someone? I remember um, Eamon was on here and he's like, you can feel the energy fizzing off them. Warwick Hill um, talks about, um, he talks about this, this, this kind of intangible, they, they can't be killed, you know, when yep. everything's really tough. Is there anything that you look for when you meet these guys? I think there's that, but also really getting to know them as a, again, as I said, as a human, because look, if you're going to work with them or you're going to invest with them, granted, I'm not a VC, but you're going to be along the journey. Yeah. And so you're putting your, your personal time and your capital into them, into their businesses. So you want to at least, like I spend time with Aiden and as I've gotten to know him, I'm like, this guy's awesome as a yeah. human being and as a person. Like, I don't know what he's like to work for because I've never sat in the room with him. But as a person is, and also like I've helped him hire people. I've been a part of that process. It's like, as you spend time with them, you're like, all right, I get what drives them. I understand what drives them. I understand where they want to go with their business. Like I spend a lot of time with Ben from Pesky. And I totally, the thing I love about Ben, there's many things I love about Ben. But the one thing I love is he's always challenging himself. No different. Than, it reminds me of distress in that you're always challenging your investments. Like news comes out, you change your, you know, you're always like reassessing. Is that the right investment? Should I, you know, either add more or reduce? or stick with it because it's fine. Like what my conviction is the same. It's no different than Ben. Ben's always reassess or just challenging his own thesis and making sure that what he said he still believes in and what, you know, where they want to go with the mission and where the where the vision of the business is going. And I think that's true of anybody. Like I think you need to always challenge yourself rather than kind of what you said, stick with or even maybe what you didn't say, but stick with status quo. I'm like, all right, this is fine. I'll, it'll always be successful. Yeah. Because you wouldn't you, look, you and I both know, right? I think the one thing is like having been a mentor in, in Eamon's program last when they came in, they were all 10 companies were this way and things have changed. Like they've definitely slightly pivoted. They've slightly tweaked. They've added certain things. They've done certain yeah. things. And like, I think you have to be open to change um, and open to be able to make slight tweaks or differences or even like, look, 
as you raid, and I'm sure you know this, like as you raid Series A, you might have to re retool your team, right? The team that you got from from seed to to Series A might have to be the different team, and that's like unfortunate, but that's just life, right? Yeah, yeah, like I'm, because then I'm, everybody yeah. has different different drivers of what where they want to go with. Like the CEO is one thing, but people might have different agendas of where they want to go with their life, and do they really want to go to be the I don't know the five hundred million dollar business or the yeah, five billion exactly, dollar yeah. business, right? And also like it's interesting. There's one company I've Angel invested in and mentored and is in the M&A, like is looking at doing M&A and it becomes one of these ones. Do you want to be a, a massive business to go have a sales and marketing, go do all the hiring, do all the other stuff and go raise more money? Or do you want to just be a part of a, a bigger company where you can be like your own little chemistry lab inside of a bigger corporate, not be bothered and grow your business that way and get some, you know, good ups in that way. And to me, sometimes, you know, it doesn't sound as sexy, but I think that life could be much easier than the brain damage associated with trying to take it from, you know, $10 million business to who knows what. And, maybe oh, fall on your, and fall that on is your real brain damage. Right. You know this, yeah, right? Yeah. From your previous life. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I get it. And, you know, and um, so look. sometimes it, I don't think like at the time I spent with companies, maybe this isn't your question, but I think it's generally not telling what, but just trying to push them to think about other ways to think rather than just be like, all right, it's this way. Does that make sense? I oh, no, I agree with you. And I can't, like, I can't. It's I, like, it's, it just reminds yeah. me of distress. Like I also distressed. I loved about being able to ask people questions and understand what drives their businesses. No different than what these companies is just slightly different. Like now it's, I think a CEO of a, of a distress company couldn't run a startup. And I don't think a startup guy could run a CEO of a, of a turnaround, you know, distress business. But ultimately it's the same. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think ultimately there's something there in that. Um, I think startups just always need to be, continue to challenge things and challenge themselves and think about yeah. things. And I think distress distress companies as, as well. And also, I like just getting under the hood and figuring out what drives these people. No different than what I did. That was my point. Distress yeah. is understand what drives the CEO of any company or the people that are in the company and, and where they want to go with it. Yeah. And I think like I I completely buy into what you're saying. I'm, I'm gobbling up what you're saying because like people don't realize that before you become a founder, you need to go always you become a founder. You have to go through that, that soul searching. You have to be able to figure out why am I doing this? What yep. do I want out of this? Yep. And having a mentor get that out of you is so important. This yep. is why I think people get as many as you can get good advice. Yep. So don't be in a situation where you think I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable and let someone. Vulnerability is good. Yeah, exactly. That's what Alex talked about last time. You've got to be vulnerable because like, say for example, like, um, you know, so like we, we, we met a while back and I met Chris out back. Shout out to that hero. And I remember saying to him, look, I, I don't really know what I'm doing about this part of the business. Yeah. And it's so refreshing to say something about it. He's like, that's cool. Just get someone who does. <laughs> Here, yeah, you don't have to do everything. And people don't get that. You know, and I love that openness. A lot of founders, CEOs think- Putting the best people around you. Make you look smarter. Yeah. You look I, like a rock star. I have a theory that um, <laughs> the best CEOs realize that what happens is you, there's two theories. Some people are like, you have, to, you have to tread on people to get up. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, you no. don't. No, you don't. What you do is you get people beneath you to raise up and they'll lift you up. Yeah. Yeah. Because surround yourself by great people. You- the best investors and the best CEOs, they're just collectors. Yeah. You know, you you speak to some of the greatest investors and they'll be like, oh yeah, I know A, B, C, D, who's amazing at this. Yeah. And by virtue of that, they become amazing of it. That's theory. Yeah. So turning that question around on you, and it's quite interesting to say this, and I think it's good. I wonder what your view is. So in the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? 
making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Something that people never talk about is the... So on that mentor bit and the investor bit... When you're raising money for the first time, you start out and you're like, okay, I've got zero money in the bank. I need to get, I don't know, 150 to 500K yep. to make my business. So I, as you know, lock yourself in a room and build something people want and then the VCs will come to you, yep. right? But you've got to do that. And it's hard. And then some, when you first start out, no one's offering you any money and then it starts to trickle and then everyone's offering you money. But it's very hard to then be like, how do I know if this is the right investor for me? Now, I'm not a big fan of some of the ways the VCs invest. I like some ways some do, but some VCs you can kind of like their term sheets are a bit annoying. That that happens. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. But that happens. But at the same time, but when you bring in an angel, like it's a bit more on your terms. But what you've got to try and understand is like, I'd love you to see if you can turn the other table here. How does someone pick a good investor? Like yourself. Like you, know, you're saying all the stuff which is would be the dream investor for someone. But how would a startup know if this is the right person to take money from? Because I've taken bad money in the past, and it's shit. <laughs> but what's yeah. the definition of bad money? They didn't. They didn't help you. They just disappeared. They didn't support Ex- you. Great question. So I think the thing for me is like I. I know it's your show, but, I- but no, no, he's like you're interviewing me now, right? This I get it. The um, the thing I hate is I first of all I hate people just put money in. I'm not is that like, you know, there's there's no value in that and just getting money. Yep. Get a loan, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, why would you take the money? But at the same time, I think there is needs to be a right balance between if someone is putting money in, I I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong here, because this is about you, not me, but um, I believe in cross-pollination, okay? I believe that every industry has something to teach another industry. And so if I can take someone who is, like my, my business is in the gaming space, yeah, yeah. okay? But some of the real value that I get from people who aren't in gaming... I, you, do you I, mean that's where I get it from? Look, yeah. I, I'm on. I'm soon to be on the board of one of the companies that's in the gaming space. I don't know anything about gaming. Mm. Well, I hope they're not in the same space as me because if they no, are, no, 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 completely different. No, completely different. No, you're staking. You're you're betting. This is completely different. So yes, but anyway, it's but, actually yeah. gaming, gaming. Oh wow, but amazing. But yeah, but again, it's, it's the it, it's that cross pollination exactly. that makes a huge difference. Agree. And also, I want someone who is then I I tell me this again. If you are investing your money in me, you have to accept there's a risk with that. 100%. But you also have to have faith in me that I know what I'm doing and I'm giving this the right direction. So if you're going to come in and tell me, advise me how you think I should do it, but if you tell me how to do it- It's annoying. It's so annoying. And look, you own this much. You don't mean anything. But you don't have to tell me what to do every day. And that can happen and it can make life very difficult. It's it's balancing between micromanaging when it's really a, shouldn't be that way and how to just get advice supportive advice yeah connecting you opening doors have you thought about this have you thought about that have you have you you know if you're negotiating something else have you thought about commercial contracts again just challenging them in a yeah. good way but not in a supportive way not being mm-hmm. like you've done it wrong like i don't look i don't know what it's like to run a gaming business but look these are things i would think about and they're like totally get it or have you thought about this on your, because they're in discussion on the term sheet. I was like, have you thought about that? Oh yeah. Or that, that makes sense. Or some of the hiring people make, like, this is just my two cents. This is what I think of this person. I think that could be a value here. They might be here, but again, or how to negotiate them down on terms. I shouldn't be saying that, but, but again, be, look, it, it's, 
or how do you know how do you think about like the financial model is it to me it's like and i think it's what Eamon said like he doesn't look at the models but i think the most important thing i think about models is the um how long can they run so forget about revenue ignore revenue because generally who knows when your revenue is going to come in especially in an early stage company think about how, how long your costs are going to last how long how much is going to cost you and how long is going to last you okay wait. and that's like a good starting point right so stop there for me because that's a, i want to do that that's a really fascinating really interesting point what's the right answer to that question which question how long they're going to run for well i think it's ignore the revenue yeah and what do you need to to run for the next what okay what are your costs and run them for the next until you run out of money and that's it okay and how long so if you if, if it says 18 months then look it's 18 months and they look if you assume no revenue for 18 months that's as long as we can run and we need to hire a marketing person over that period we need a couple salespeople. we need that and that'll last us eight and a couple tech developer whatever it's a lot of money whatever it's 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 18 months or it's six months and as you know from your own experience and as you know Eamon and many other guests can talk about like you need to be thinking about raising not month one month before because it's game over you need to be thinking about fundraising six probably six months before you're out of money yeah at least and also my opinion would be and it's kind of like what your view is, is and also about talking do you take vc money or not is i would run a dual track meaning partly angels and partly vcs yeah i, I believe that i do like the new sort of rolling this this this, this old you can do the rolling convert you can do the yeah, convert thing yeah it's like this this old-fashioned style of being like I'm going to have this, it's, you know, um, Kevin Montserrat runs Consilience Ventures. Yep. Incredible guy. Um, but he's like, you know, you've got like um, family friends, angel, pre-seed. So you've got yep. so many names for these rounds. I'm just like, yeah. yeah. And it's, he's like, no, you just got to, you're just rolling around. Yep. Until you get to a point where you're making some money and then you get scale up. Yeah, you know I mean, that's what yeah. it is. And it's, so it's like, you have to, I believe, and you use this as much, much more than I do, but I believe from speaking to fans of being in the community that just assume you're going to run out of money. Yep. <laughs> yep. Make sure you've got a pipeline of investors in the same way that Agreed. you would about customers. Yep. Because cu the, the, the worst thing about investors, I'll tell you this now, is they don't work in the same time frames you do. <laughs> no, agree. <laughs> yeah. And they don't check their emails. They don't respond. They don't, you know, or... or or they blank you or whatever it is. And you're like, the round, so you make up some urgency, round's going to close next week. And they're like, ah, that's okay, I'll join the next one. You're like, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's you a, can't put a, you you put can't a, put a dangerous put a game. To, you can't do it to an investor. Yeah. Well, actually, you've got to create some urgency <coughs> and some FOMO, yeah. but at the same time, you can't do it too much because they'll just go elsewhere. Exactly. Because like, you yeah, know, how many investments do you, do you do a year? Like you know, most of them are doing 10. Like 10 at most. Yeah. 10. And they see like a thousand to fifteen. They see years. so many. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. The fact they're even speaking to you, high five. Yeah, it's good, right? Okay. Great. Actually, I want to ask you a question. I've got this theory, and you tell me if it's right. I've got this theory that I'm working on. There's no analysis solidly about it, so I'm working on it. That there is a proportional relationship between how far an investor is willing to travel and how likely they are to invest in your business. So if an investor says, come and meet me at my office, chances are low. If he says, meet me halfway, you're 50-50. But if he's coming to your office, oh, it's your deal to lose. <laughs> that's actually funny. That is, I think there's probably some validity there. Yeah? I would imagine. Right. I mean, look, the other one is, is like... San Francisco and VCs won't invest. Generally, won't invest unless you're in the in the in the valley. So it's a funny story. I I reached out. Generally, or well, I reached out to some some VCs when I started out yeah. to in San Fran, and um, they set up some calls and stuff, and like nothing. I went over there. I was there for a wedding, and they. Were I dropped, just dropped them some notes. Said I'm in town. Yep. Four emails, four meetings. <laughs> like a fly on a turd, right? It was nuts. They're like, oh, he's over here from London. He must be amazing. Yeah. You know, it's really good. Anyway, so we digress, but that's really fascinating. I really like But that. I think your point's right about, you asked about like angel investors and who you get involved. Yeah. Like, I think it's guys, guys or men or women that are supportive, that are going to ride the journey. 
that have had the track record of being supportive. Yeah. So again, it's like, all right, well, they've invested in company X, so and and that that person had a good experience, so they're going to help me in my new company. As a, again, if you're going to take that money, so I yeah. think you always have to think about: can they open doors? Can they connect you? But look, don't use them for everything. But that they're going to, and then you want to check in and keep them engaged. If you it, look, I think sometimes it's also the founder's responsibility to stay in front of them and keep them engaged. Because if you don't keep them engaged, you're not leveraging them well enough. And I think sometimes, look, some people just do it because they just here's 10 grand and like i'm not a big fan of the ais as you can tell i'm american so i don't really benefit from that stuff but <laughs> that's why no fan yeah, exactly yeah but i think it's a bit of a it's a, anyway it's anyway we'll come back we can talk about it another time but okay it's more of yeah getting the supportive people that are going to support you through the journey and that are going to want to continue to support you like one of the companies i that is i mentored in the i don't know for the last 18 months is based in the u.s and like i there was times where i used to talk to him once or twice a week on the phone like yeah. we just have a quick WhatsApp chat for 10 minutes. He's like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And like, I was like, look at a spreadsheet, run the numbers, run the, like it was just, again, everybody's different and I'm much more engaged. If people want to leverage me, knock themselves out. If they don't, that's okay too. And I'll cheerlead from the side yeah. and be supportive. So again, it's- But I think you have to leverage them. Like you've, you have, you've paid for that. For yeah, that, I think for so. The, for that, right? So, you know, so like they put their money, but you've given up some of some, your soul. You've given right. up something, something you but made. But I would spend time with those people yeah, to figure out because otherwise- exactly. If you just say here's ten grand or twenty grand or thirty grand, fifty grand, and they, you've never spent time with them, like that's your own fault. They yeah, they don't help you. Yeah, as a as a founder, I'd say, look, you know, the, you will get so much value because they are speaking to so many other yeah. startups. Yep. They they see good stuff and bad stuff, and you know, and it really helps. And also, what their background is, what they've helped before, how yeah. they've successful they've been before. But like, look, it's I think you'd, every side, like it's no different than I've said to v, to startups, like. If you spend time with VCs, it's, it's like also up to you to figure out whether you want to get in bed with them because you're stuck with them for the next five, 10 years or until this thing goes. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? So um, I I agree with Alex Dunstan on this and he says 1% of companies are good for VC. And people give him a hard time and say that he he batters VCs. I don't think he does actually. I think that people misunderstand him. I think that he he is a VC, but he understands that it is a, it's a strange world. That it's a strange world and- there are problems with it, but ultimately, I think it's a beautiful time to be alive and be in this world where you, know, you can create this money and exp explode as a yeah, business. Exactly. It's amazing. And so many dreams are made that way. And also, the other thing about VCs is that's so great is it allows you to bring in lots and lots of people who join startups just as employees, yep. and they get the bug, and they're the ones that are going to fuel the economy next. It's an amazing yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but there is that amazing saying, which I heard recently, which is VCs are the ultimate lifestyle business who hate lifestyle businesses. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I love that a lot. Yeah. But anyway, but the thing I say to me about VC money is that you have that you have to accept how that is going to change your life. Positively and negatively. Yeah, exactly. Because you are probably going to stop being having that freedom and you're going to start becoming an employee at some point. Yeah. You're, you are now at the behest of someone else's timeframes. Now, if that's, if you're, if you're cool with that, yeah, that's fine. Yep. But just think about your reasons. And I, I agree with you. So look, I have this question that I like to ask everyone who comes on this show. Oh, I'm fascinated about it. Right? <laughs> what, what are the biggest mistakes you see startups make, whether they're in your portfolio or in the mentor, what are the classic mistakes that people make that you think you can fix that? Yeah. Don't do that. Classic mistakes people think. I think sometimes people think that they can get money faster than they think they can. So meaning they, it's, it takes quicker. I Amen. also think one thing I would say to every startup is it it's a full-time job. Raising money is a full-time job. It's a massive distraction and you need to make sure you have the right team in place 
that can run the business while you're distracted. Because also it can be setbacks. And generally, I think sometimes I've seen where startups, there's a few, like numbers start to fade a bit when the CEO's offer trying to raise money. I think companies fail because of it. I think the, but they talk about, they say that the top three the reasons- failure rate must yeah. be high, right? Well, people say the, the main reason the company failed is because no market fit, uh, founders fell out, and what's the other one? Run out of cash, yep. those three. And I'm like, that's rubbish. The reason they fail is because your CEO's got distracted yep. because he's using up, and it's, and also I know, like it's, it's not, you know, functionally, it might be 40% of your time, but it's 100% of your mind space. Yeah, and it's an emotional thing. You send out that email to that person yeah. and you don't get anything back. That hurts. You meet them and every time you meet them and then there's a chance to know it hurts more. Yeah. You know, it's like that. And that takes up all of your time. And so that's, it's the distraction. Yeah, from, and the whole time it's going on, you're not really focusing on your business. No, you lose focus. You and, do. And, but it also comes back to, you could probably raise a lot of money if you had the right people. If you, again, it comes back to the point we talked about having the right people in place. Yeah. And making you look smarter. Yeah. And having a good team that can help you bid it. Or look, or asking for help. Like, don't be shy to ask for help. Or like, you know, can you connect me here? Can you open the door there? I mean, one of the companies that approached me randomly, this CEO of a company that's creating an app for people. Imagine you go to Copenhagen and you're like, I want to go run 10 miles and I want to do hills and stuff. You don't know where to go. So it's creating a map for you to run. And also you're like- Are there hills in Copenhagen? Or whatever. You know I'm what I mean? Anyway. <laughs> but also it's like, let's say it's negative three and you're like, I don't know what to wear. So again, it gives you a route and gives you what to wear. Yeah. So- He's co-founder of a business out of Turkey, which just raised $40 million on like a 200 plus million valuation. And he's working with me. Like he approached me to, to mentor him on this. I'm like, this is bizarre. But anyway, it's, it's like, like it's just I a love really this. humble. And I didn't yeah. know this until the other day that he was a part of the co-founder of that other business. He's like, by the way, did you see that? I was like, no. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, holy. But he's just a humble, good dude. Love that. Solving a real problem. And look, he's been successful in his other business and he's doing this on the side and we're, he's just a great guy. But again, it's... Being humble, not being able to ask, not being shy to ask questions, you know, raise, and also it's kind of what you said, right? If you, if you can raise angel money, go do it or and don't like, and also, or do the dual track because, yeah. and also sometimes it might be easier to go raise the angel money, prove the model, get more metrics. And then it's an easier story to go to VCs rather than fall flat on your face for six months with no VCs. And the VCs are like, look, we don't get the metrics. Like just don't, but just run a dual track because it'll be easier and angels can generally move quicker. Mm. Yeah, of course, because again, I like that. You know, it's really There's something you said there, which is quite handy tip for reaching out to an investor. Like anyone who's known you for more than 35 seconds, yeah, knows that you are into boring endurance sports. Okay, <laughs> all right, okay. So, so he I do all this stuff to stay like, fit and raise money I mean, for charity. I look at your, I look at your jacket and your gear. Like you've got a baseball cap and some kind of. <laughs> you know, Horrible jacket, soft man. shell, you know, you've got it there, right? It's, you, you, you stink of endurance. Yeah. The, um, uh, but like, so he's obviously figured that out. He's yeah. been like this dude, like your LinkedIn profile, you're running. Right. And he's like, check, check, you know, like, but I love that. Like he's, he's made, he's tailored it to you, yeah. which means you're more likely to get it. Right. It's, that, yeah. And yeah. And look, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Yeah. And he's also like, look, I want, and some, the other one is like, Let's say the companies is like, you know, people always want advisor equity and all this stuff. Like he offered it right out of the, right from the onset. And I was like, I don't, he's like, no, no, you, you're giving me your time. I want to give you something for that. And whereas some people generally want that. And I just go in just thinking like, look, I like working with entrepreneurs because mm. it's something I just give back. Yeah. And people have offered it 
just because and I'm like, okay, but it's not something I... Yeah, I think, I personally think it's something you should give. I feel like if someone is helping you... But you should get you to win, know them before you... I and agree, also, I don't yeah. think a mentor do should go and be like, hey, by the way, give me your money. Yeah. Give yeah. me your 50, you know, 50 you don't million, do whatever it is. But yeah, I think that you should... I feel like, you know, we're in this world where, you know, none of us will succeed unless we ask for help and other people accept to yep. give you help, right? And so I feel like if I'm going to win, I want to win with you. Yep. Um, but I agree with you. You've got to you've got to manage that first. You've got to know that person. If right. someone asks for it off the bat, I'm be like, mm. no, you got to spend time with them. Yeah, like I spend time with Aiden in, from Job Lab, and it's like it's amazing. Yeah, and you know if you're going to get along, right? Right. You got to spend. It's time. just great, or even Ben, or just all the. I mean, look, it's. I mean, it's just, and every it reminds me of distress again. Like all of them are different, but yeah. they're all the same. In that, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't profess to be is a tech person, but I can figure out the rest. And I love just sitting there thinking and asking a bunch of questions and then just pushing them mm -hmm. and then getting answers and just getting smarter about them and them getting smarter and hopefully... And that makes you a better investor advisor. Yeah, ultimately. So. Yeah. Okay, right. We're on the part of the show now. What I do is, so every week I send a shout out on Twitter and I say, right, peeps, any startup questions? Oh, boy. Come and... Come and holler and let me know. All right, okay. So I am now going to ask you some at random questions. I don't. I don't. Don't worry. If I think they're rubbish, I don't ask That's them. Fine. <laughs> uh, at random questions from people. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, and then I just want to get your view. Okay, first. Okay. I mean, yeah, this will do. Um, what industries do you think are going to be boom, and which ones do you think are going to be flop? You mean just in the future? Yeah, now? like in tech. Like in, we're, we're in the tech world. Like what kind of stuff do you think is going to kick off and what stuff is going to... So if someone said, so if I came to you with idea in X category, yeah. you'd be like, that's cool. But if I came to you with idea in B category, and you're like, yeah, I'm not really into that. I mean, fintech's always going to continue to do something. Again, the question is, you know, where you are in it and how it works. And also I think building them, you know, robust tech first before you kind of chase it. Um, I think something Eamon said I really believe in is this whole aging population, not because my dad went through Alzheimer's and I've been through that whole journey, but not that part of it, about leveraging. They, they're they the ones with the dough. How do you figure out how to ma maximize money out of them? Because this, like, why chase, as he said, and I think he's bang on right, why chase somebody 16 years old who has no money when you can chase the 50-year-old, like or you can chase my mom who's 73 who's got money or anybody who's got money in the aging population that will do stuff. Yeah. So again, trying to figure out how to go after them. Um, I think there's so much in that. Like, I don't understand. Like, I, I go into um, Instagram or something, got all this stuff, and they're advertising to, like, to kids. Yep. And I say kid, patronizingly. I mean, people who are, like, in their early 20s or late 18s. I'm like, I'm I'm 36, okay? I know I look a lot younger. Okay? You look good. Thanks, man. It's I, the well, hair. It, it doesn't matter. I'm always going to look good, no matter what age it is. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm like, but if I, but I'm there, and I'm like, but I'm in this weird no man's land of, like, because I'm a dad, Okay, so because you're a dad, like, you know, you are basically, no one tries to sell you anything because yeah. they're like, you buy one pair of jeans a decade, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. in that category. But I'm like, but if you tried to sell me something other than a car, and I don't like cars, I'll tell you what, who got this right. Okay, I'm, tell me if you, cyclists, cycle companies, okay, they just got it right. Because you, you, if, as soon as a guy hits like, you know, can't do real sport anymore. So he, like, wow. moves, so he moves into- wow. So he moves into like being this his is like, <laughs> but then he moves into like his late thirties, and they're like, "I'm gonna go into endurance sports. I'm gonna go into MMA fighting." Yeah, they should wow, they should, they should get on the mat. You can do it at any age you want. I, I you can <laughs> jujitsu's for life. But anyway, you get in there, but they're like, but you see these bikes, and I was like, so I bought. Um, oh my, man, ask I, me about my bike after you keep going. Well, look, I bought my father-in-law a bike. Okay, right, and if I bought my father-in-law a bike when I was um, like 
in my twenties, like he's basically getting a scooter, <laughs> you know. But, but now he's, yeah, you know, I've I've got more money to spend on 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 a gift for him, right? Mm. Okay, um, it wasn't some kind of dowry for you know marrying his daughter, <laughs> but like it was like you know he's he's a, yeah, I respect him and I wanted to get into cycling, but like but. I'm, I was thinking about it after, like, that's a lot of money. But then they've marketed it perfectly to that marketplace because they know that these guys have a lot of money. And also guys in their 40s who aren't in great shape, if you can spend an extra 500 quid to go one millisecond faster than your skinny mate, you'll spend it. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I haven't bought a bike in about 15 years. It's because you're an actual athlete. That's why. <laughs> I have a bike from, I have an old Trek 5200 pre-Lance Armstrong, and I have a bike from 2000. So that was like 1998. And you got the same 96. bike. That's been through two cycling accidents. And I have a time trial bike, which is from like 2002 or three. So you're basically like, you are- I'm a hack. <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing that because you're a hipster. You're I, like, just, you're I don't cool. see the point. Like. Yeah, but don't don't try to pretend that that isn't a market. Don't tell there me there's a massive market. Like, don't tell me that when you go market. out with your mates all cycling around, they all have like, like all this kits, like, and they've got like, like the this, tech too. It's, it's got like, like this bazillion pound bike, yeah, made out of like I'm unicorn. Like, see you guys, bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, fine. Next question. Okay, good night. I like that answer. All right, next one. Okay, um, where do you see startups wasting time? Yep. Where do I see startups wasting time? And what is not a good use of time and money at early stage? What's wasting time? Interesting. What do they waste time doing? If you don't like the question, we can come No, out. no. Let me go to the next one. Let me think about it. That's okay, a good okay, question, okay. actually. What do they okay. waste time doing? Okay. That's a good question, actually. Um, oh, so it's a good one, but we, we, um, we kind of cut on it earlier. What is the best way to approach an investor? A potential investor. So someone you've never met before or anything, and you're going through your LinkedIn and you found, you know, John Stamler, he's he's got investor written on his profile yeah. and you're reaching out to him on LinkedIn. What is the best way to reach out to that that guy or girl? I've look, I've seen it where people have sent me pitch decks, people have sent me emails asking, Hey, would you meet? To me, it's more of the sometimes it's the business or the opportunity what they're going after, and also it's just some of the verbiage that they say of how they approach me. In that, hey, I look, I got this idea. What do you think? Or, hey, we're connected through somebody. I know this person really well. Like, can I just run it by you for 10 minutes? Just have a quick chat. Um, again, it's I, sometimes it's right place, right time. Sometimes it's when I check the right email and I just make a decision. It's spur of the moment. Sometimes I look through the deck. I mean, it, to me, it still comes back to even if I spend the time, which I'll generally, most of the time, I'll generally do. Because um, I've met some really cool entrepreneurs and I've just even had good conversations about where they're solving. Like I think, I'll come back to one, I think there's many reasons which are showing some interesting opportunities um, is I just, you know, get them on the phone for 10 minutes and I can spend 30 seconds and just figure out this is something I can help with or something mm -hmm. I can help with. But also I'll just read the deck. Generally me, it's like, all right, I can help them or not help them or direct them that way or at least have a quick chat. I'm generally pretty open to have a chat. I don't really know, like everybody's different. I mean, and, and most VCs get a gazillion approaches. So mm. again, it's oh, dude, what ticks oh, the dude, right button. Dude, dude, and, dude, I'm not a VC and I get a gazillion. You know, the right I can't place, imagine how much they're getting. Like the right place, yeah. right time, what yeah. ticks the box, particular industry. I would also, actually to your question is, if it's a VC, I would figure out what other things they invest in or they've invested in or they look at or hear where they speak and what kind of industries they like. Again, shows that you've done some research rather than just go cold. Don't just cold call. Yeah. Because look, people are going to be like, oh, you're just sending, you're copying and pasting, sending yeah. emails. So and, and, and also look. Spend time doing the research, like on what they do. Like 
all right, Tom does this. I like he's an MMA fighter. Like, let's talk about that or sports and betting and all that. It just shows that you've done your homework. Yeah, sure. No, I get it. And I think, look, there's something in that. And look, as someone had a career in sales, I tell you, look, copy and pasting emails is shit practice. Um, it's time saving, but it, you're not going to get the right conversion yeah. rate. Um, but something you said there, which I think just to give some practical advice for the listeners, is you mentioned a couple of times about opening there with the idea. Yeah. yeah this is what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Can we have a chat see if you can help out? Is your mission this one trying to Steve and this one trying to solve? That's yeah. it. Can that's I just what have 10 minutes of your time? And that's like, don't ask for more. Yeah. And if that's it, I always say, if someone has gone, f- there, there is definitely, um, I talked about earlier about the, obviously we're talking about the coffee shop. I think there is a, people, when people put effort in something, yeah. they don't want to give up that time. So someone's gone to the next stage of reading your pitch deck. That's a good step. Yeah. They're probably then going to think, okay, now I'll, drop them an email. If they drop them an email, they want to talk. You know, it's the, yeah. it's these steps of effort that you go with. Um, and I respect that. I think coming back to your question, like I think uh, the question of the, the, whatever, the Twitter person, I think some of it's like making sure you build the tech. If it's a tech company, spend time building the tech, making sure that- you are wasting time. I'm going to ask the yeah. question properly. I'll edit it. In. All right, fine. Yeah, I'll edit, I'll edit it. In, so I'll ask it again properly. Right, yeah, yeah. So because okay. I, I want to hear. Okay. Go, keep going, sorry. So um, if you had, um, oh, this is a good one. Where do you see startups wasting the most amount of time? I think everyone's answer is I think they should spend more time making sure that the tech is robust and built correctly. They have the right team to build it. Um, they've done enough research to figure out what people they need to help solve that. So it'd be like getting a person that has been in a particular industry, but they're 20 years older than the industry is. You need somebody who's, who's in it, gets it, knows how to build it and hire those people and don't be afraid to hire those people because they're the ones who are going to help build you the tech rather than um you know dinosaurs that are stuck in their older ways mm-hmm. um i also think you know look even in like there's some some of this is quite regulated as i'm sure you probably know from your betting industry like make sure you understand the regulation and if you don't you're going to get it wrong or you're going to be chasing your tail i also think that to think where startups get it wrong is making sure that you spend time with your structure so your legal structure like how you set your business up, is it done correctly? And to be honest with you, you know, there's guys like, I mean, there's a guy, I don't know if you met Dan Glazer, who, who's from WSGR, is an awesome lawyer. Like I would highly rate him to anybody. Okay. Um, but more about getting that structure right, getting those, getting all that right so that it, as you go raise further raise, you can, it, it, can tw- it can twist you up later on. So getting that rock solid bulletproof. Um, again, I think also understanding your costs. Like what, what and also, the thing I also like spending time with these startups with is understanding what drives their business. So again, understanding, I mean, I know I know, models are a bit, but the cost structure, you know, and I'd like to look at the revenue just to see how they think. What's going to drive this business? How's it driving? Um, is there any metrics that are there now? Could they do things better? Like one of the companies I was looking at was like some of their um, retention in a particular industry. And it was like, look, why are people dropping off? And they spend time, it makes sense why people are dropping off, but there's ways to go remarket them and they've started remarketing them or winning customers back. It was just more about the the, the product didn't completely fit the, those type of people. So they've slightly changed the product and adjusted the way that they can order products. So again, just understanding your customers, there's a lot of things that can get wrong. I mean, I think again, it's, it's, it's a massive amount of things, but like, right, people, structure, you know, also can you funding, right? You can end up with the wrong investors that don't support you. And like, as you said, right. And which is not helpful, especially mm-hmm. early on in your journey. And also I think the other thing is, is getting mentors paid, not paid, whatever, whatever you want to call them that can help you. And that really want to help you and just be a part of that journey. 
Um, I also think if people want to get into accelerator programs, I think they're massively helpful if, if they can get in, as you we were <laughs> laughing before. I mean, ten, you know, a thousand people apply to Techstars and ten people, ten companies end up. But if you can end up in it, 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 it is, you, I mean, ask any of them. It's a game changer. I'm a tech, Whether I'm, I'm, well, I'm a Microsoft accelerator baby and it's I, a game changer. Any I, of them are game changers. My, the thing, I think the thing about it, and I say this to anyone and, um, a guy who was on the show, <clears throat> James Hawkins just got onto Y Combinator. Um, and I'd say to people like, if you come away with nothing, you will come away with a network. Agree. And some of my closest startup buddies now were on that cohort with me and we're friends now because it's shared experience that joins people together and it's so valuable and we learn so much from each other. Um, and don't be, and, don't, and to that same point, don't be on your own. Try to, that's why these accelerators and any of these kind of yeah. organizations make it so that you can collaborate. Otherwise, you're just sitting in your room and you're like, oh, does this work? Does that not work? You're on your own. Yeah, it's like I, hitting your head against the wall. I agree. You don't know what works. Yeah, I think that I believe there's seven superpowers of a uh, of a um, founder. I'll tell you the other six, but I think one of them is networking. Yeah, you, you got to be good at it. If you got to be good you at it, you can't be introverted. Or it's game over. Yeah, yeah. As a founder, yeah. You, you, if you want to be a dev, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, but you can't as a founder. Right. Okay. This is a really cool one, and I'm glad that I'm just don't want to paraphrase this. So, okay, what do you do in your personal life? to make sure that you are able to do your work effectively in your professional life. I love that. I love that. What do I do in my personal life to make sure that I, I mean, I think my personal life, I work out so that keeps my sanity. Do you? Yeah, I work out so that keeps my sanity. Mm. But in my work life or my day-to-day life, working with startups and entrepreneurs gives me a massive buzz. And it's, it's no different than my distress career, right? Where it's, like some people would say like finance, whatever. Like to me, it was more about, I think I loved it. Forget about getting paid and whatever. It was more about the excitement of figuring out companies, what drives them, how they can be restructured. It's almost a jigsaw puzzle. And that's a later stage jigsaw puzzle where these are jigsaw puzzles early in and trying to figure out how to help them along that journey. Um, and that kind of, I think going to the gym in the morning sets me up and then working with startups throughout the week at on and you know, at various times having random conversations just kind of is an extra buzz for me. Um, and then some of the angel investing I just do because again, it's believing in the startups and I don't know if that answers the question, but no, it does. And I think, you know, I, I, I think people should always, I believe that it is, it's an exhausting pursuit being a founder. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, yeah, then, then I don't want people to feel like they're alone. So like yeah. no different than with the charity of the nonprofit, like helping other people feel like you're not alone going through the journey. Like if people want support, I'm abs- I'm like, I'm a very open guy and I'm happy to, Talk to there's guys in Germany I work with, there's guys in the US, there's some I've talked to people in Asia. I mean, look, I'll talk to any Africa. I mean, look, yeah. obviously Europe and the UK, but like I'm pretty open and Okay, look, so we've come to the part of the show now, the end, which is but here I I love to say, look, if you had a mantra, if you had one piece of advice that you would give to all founders at any stage, what would that piece of advice be? Always Challenge yourself. Always reassess your. Don't rest on your laurels. Continue. Obviously, you have a mission, vision of where you want to go with it, but don't be afraid to make changes. Don't be afraid to, you know, add people, take take people away. Like I was saying to you earlier, like people that were in your pre-seed might not be there when you raise Series A. They might not be when you raise Series B. People have different thoughts about where they want to be in life, and also they might not be the right team that's going to take you to the next level. If you want to be just a good business, then maybe they are. If they want to be an amazing business, they might be too. But just don't rest on your laurels, challenge yourself, be humble, 
And, you know, don't afraid to, as we talked about earlier, bring on really, really smart people that can help you be successful. Agreed. John, it's been great. I think, look, from my speaking with you, you seem like the the perfect shape of an advisor for a startup. I love you come on the show. I love your energy. I love your story. Um, anyone who can have a hole in the heart and compete in a marathon <laughs> later on, I assume it took you nine hours. You didn't tell me that bit. You Three and a half. What? Oh my God. Three and a half. It's just, it just hurts hearing <laughs> how good that is. It's okay. Um, not bad. What is your PB? Uh, a little under three and a half. A little, it wasn't yeah, that but, one. Yeah, but I don't even, when I train for marathons, I run maybe f- three to six miles at most. It's all cycling. I don't, I don't literally run more than six miles. You're, dis- you're disgusting. I don't like you anymore. I take it all back. <laughs> it's all mental, man. It's, it's mind over matter getting I, through these races. Uh, yeah, it is just to get over the boredom of running. Okay, all right. No, but it's been great having the show, and I, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. All right.